The Devil Wears Dog Hair by Beverly Cuddy, read by Beverly Cuddy. Episode 2, Chapter 4 Tears in the Library Working in Mayfair was like being trapped in a bad game of Monopoly. On my kennel club salary, there'd be no buying a house any time soon. The contrast between the West End and my increasingly smelly flat was often eye-watering especially as my live-in single landlady was creating her own vegetarian baby food. Or should I say cremating it? All my clothes started to smell of burnt cabbage. I'm not sure if it was this unpleasant aroma that got me an office with a window and a door, but I had to share it. Since my shock appointment, two other employees had been given the puzzling title of information officer at the kennel club. Brian and Marianne were considerably older and more experienced and were probably a bit miffed that we were all on the same pittance. But bless them, even though they were already battle-weary from many abrupt regime changes, they gave me and my strange perfume the benefit of the doubt. I had much to learn, and when our door was shut, my kennel club education began. My eyes were opened wider than a chow-chow having entropian surgery. Back in those days, there seemed to be an active policy of discrimination against people who knew anything about dogs. I was an experiment and was being very closely observed. Brian was also a closet dog show operative. He was a top chihuahua breeder at the weekends, but he always played it down at work. Brian knew very much more about the kennel club than all of our bosses. He'd been stepped over for promotion many more times than that runny Afghan poo at Pup of the Year. I was soon to discover that, unlike Gludo, The library wasn't a murder scene. It was where people went to cry. It probably saved a fortune on humidifiers. I quickly learned all that was wrong with the world's oldest canine registry and, with the naivety of youth, instead of hiding under the desk, I decided to try and make things a bit better. Brian and Marianne had a sweepstake on how long it would be before I too was snivelling among the bound copies of the stud book. I had very many bosses. I almost needed a five-generation pedigree to keep track. My immediate boss, Major Breach, always looked a little startled. He'd been posted in Northern Ireland as head of security. I could leave you to finish your own joke, But the poor man must have been teased a lot. I mean, major breach of security. During the beginnings of the disastrous Dangerous Dogs Act, we started getting calls from the press. They were all wanting to find the very rare dogs that were about to be banned. This made the major a bit cross. I will never forget him yelling down the phone in his very posh voice. No, madam, I will tell you once again. I don't know the whereabouts of any Japanese tossers or indeed any Hong Kong wankers. Good day to you. 
Major Breach's boss was nicknamed the Wolfman. But just like all of his kind, he was unfairly maligned. He was almost normal apart from the strange facial hair. Wolfman's boss was a major general. When stressed, he would play with his toy tanks that he kept in his office drawer. Major General was terrified of his boss and the cruel nickname he was given seemed to have been earned. He was called Dr. Death. He looked like the love child of Peter Cushing and Vincent Price, only a bit scarier. In my first week, I was given a very large pile of letters to answer and a pool of secretaries eager to accept my dictation. But I was warned that no letter could ever be posted out until all of my bosses had read and approved them. The librarian was already preparing a comfy chair for me next to the bulk by box of tissues. What could possibly go wrong when someone asked me an innocent question about white German shepherds? Chapter 5. Whiter Shade of Pale At the kennel club, I was surrounded by majors, but I was still surprised to be fitted for a uniform. Remember, this was the early 1980s. You are right to be afraid. I was soon wearing a tight, bright green outfit you'd probably expect to see on an air hostess of a budget Irish airline. I wore it with pride and a certain amount of chafing. The fibres were mainly synthetic. As a kennel club person in the field, I was expected to drive their van to a field. I'd passed my driving test first time and I was so shocked I cried. I really didn't feel ready. I hadn't driven since. Now, I had to drive from Piccadilly in central London to the Scottish Kennel Club show in Edinburgh and back. As the date loomed, many heard of my terror of negotiating Hyde Park Corner and of changing gear generally. My middle ranking boss, the Wolfman, was a wise man and he booked me some driving lessons and told me my fear of driving was a metaphor. If I faced up to it, nothing would ever stop me. And as I feared mixing up the accelerator and the brake, he was not wrong. Apart from my looming drive, I was enjoying the undemanding job of answering the phone and replying to the public's letters. I loved being able to sort out problems. I was astonished how grateful people were to receive their kennel club registration documents while their pups were still pups. I wrote very many long letters and my bosses were supposed to read them before posting out. I was still very much the new girl. I had probably lulled them into a false sense of security or sleep. Bouquets of flowers began to arrive for me at kennel club reception. Eyebrows were raised. Was I being too helpful? I was naive, probably still am, 
Alarm bells should have rung when I was asked a theoretical question about the breed standard of German Shepherds. Should a perfect white German Shepherd win against a dog of typical colour but very imperfect construction? My innocent letter made front page news of Dog World, the paper I had just left. Something else from Dog World still haunted me. Rumours. When I judged overseas as a very innocent 18-year-old, I was assigned a much older married interpreter. Something was probably lost in translation. I thought he was hanging off every word due to his interest in bearded collies. His unwelcome intentions only became clear a few years later when he visited Crufts, where I was working for Dog World. I was very busy and there was a messy scene in front of all my bosses. And then he was taken away. When I returned from Crufts, I discovered he had delivered some very surreal postcards to home and to work. I was also plagued by international silent phone calls. Living in a graveyard was already scary enough. Mobile phones had not yet been invented, so I had no way of summoning help when the landline was blocked by the silent caller. Well, long story short, Ashford was obviously a very sleepy place and an international man of mystery and a young girl living alone was terribly exciting to the local police force. Within seconds of reporting a problem, I had two young coppers on the doorstep prepared to be my round-the-clock guard and offering to help me with shopping, which was kind but odd. Nothing like this could ever have happened at Dog World before. The problem was finally resolved by my mum phoning the man's wife. But something that even my amazing mum was not able to fix was my letter about German Shepherds being front page news for all the wrong reasons. Would I be found crying in the Kennel Club library when Dr Death read the paper? Chapter 6. Swedish Flat Pack The letter had asked, should a white German Shepherd with perfect construction theoretically be placed higher in a show than a perfectly coloured GSD with poor construction? Now I am older, if not wiser, I would have spotted that this was not a totally innocent letter. To my naive eyes, the Kennel Club breed standard could only be read one way. Quote, colour in itself is of secondary importance, having no effect on character or fitness for work. The big boss, Dr Death, looked fit to murder. He had a somewhat bashed up copy of The Offending Dog World, tightly rolled up in his clenched fist, 
and I felt he was itching to use it. I have never known when to keep my mouth shut. But if it's not true, why does it say that in the breed standard? Dr. Death looked momentarily stunned by my cheek or stupidity or possibly both. In future, just point at the breed standard and make them interpret it. It is not your job to explain things to the public. Well, that was a surprise. I had a future at the Kennel Club. A rather strange job description for an information officer. Colleagues Brian and Marianne were absolutely gobsmacked. They unpacked the cardboard box they had prematurely put all my possessions in. The librarian put the tissues back on the top shelf. All my many other bosses looked slightly dishevelled, as if they'd been hit around the head repeatedly with a rolled-up copy of Dog World. For a little while at least, my correspondence would be read much more closely. I attempted to explain this strange day to Adrian, my very quiet but handsome boyfriend. He surprised me by saying... He couldn't countenance colour prejudice in dogs and went back to reading his Guardian. He also said something like pedigree dogs are the creation of a bourgeois society. When my mum phoned, I told her everything. She thought it had been lovely to see my name on the front page again and that it was crazy that anyone tried to pretend the breed standard didn't say what it did. Mum had some news to cheer me up. Our friend Dagmar had phoned to ask if I'd consider house-sitting her London flat. She was afraid it might get burgled otherwise. She had guessed correctly that my pay wasn't great at the kennel club, so she said she'd not charge me any rent and would stock the fridge with Marks and Spencer ready meals. She knew I couldn't cook and that my mum was probably worrying about me. Dagmar would stay at the flat very rarely because she had very many other homes around the world. The flat had cable before anyone else had cable. We even had a cleaner. It was my lucky day. Dagmar was very bright and impossibly beautiful. She had the best Irish wolfhounds and greyhounds in the world. I'd completely forgotten that Dagmar was a Kennel Club member. She was far from a typical one. According to the rule book, you know, the one I'm only allowed to point to and not interpret, it specified that I was a servant of the Kennel Club members. Servants were not allowed to talk to the members unless they spoke to us first. The KC was still more 1880s than 1980s. Adrian was surprisingly interested in my imminent move from expensive stinky Acton to stinking rich but free St John's Wood. He quickly floated the idea we might live together. Dagmar, being Swedish, didn't have any problem with us living in sin and thought an athletic chap around the place might better scare off criminals. There'd been a lot of break-ins. My short walk to the tube each morning would mean using the famous Abbey Road zebra crossing and dodging Japanese tourists rather than Hugh Philip Grant. 
I really was going to advance to Mayfair. What could possibly go wrong?